Morning. Navon did a great job at announcements, but he's a Celtics fan, so he's struggling right now, so be praying for him for that also. But, um, listen, we are in the middle of our Rise and Fall series. And so last week we talked about Hannah, this lady who desperately wanted to be a mom. The Lord gave her that request, and then she had Samuel, and, and Samuel's who we're really going to be speaking about today. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Samuel chapter 3. You can open up our church app and follow along with the notes there as well. But Life's success as far as being where God wants us to be, receiving the blessings of God, operating where he's called us to be, that, that rarely is changed by a single decision. Normally, a single decision will inch us a little bit closer to the Lord or, or pull us back a little farther. But sometimes in life, there's dramatic moments that move us more significantly than that in either direction, aren't there? We experienced one of those recently in our culture, in the NBA, last month when the Grizzlies were playing the Lakers, there's this ultimately no-name basketball player on the Grizzlies who was dumb enough to go against the best, one of the best ever, LeBron James, and, and he was trash-talking him, you can see him egging him on right here, and then when, when he was uh, confronted about that, he says, I don't care, he's old. He called one of the greatest players in history old. And so how did LeBron James respond to this new rise to fame? Well, just a few days later, LeBron James has taught, has a last laugh over Dylan Brooks after the Lakers eliminate the Grizzlies by 40 points. It was embarrassing. Oh my goodness. He just kept his mouth quiet and beat them into the ground. And this sudden rise of Dylan Brooks, who is this guy? We're all hearing about him, starts crashing down, but it gets even worse than that. Look at how it ends. He clowned himself off the Grizzlies into NBA free agencies. Literally, his team said, you're not worth the headache. You're no longer with our association. And now he's like, is there a team that wants to take me? And everyone's like, not really. Not really. So you feel bad about someone's demise, but what an example of the rise and quick fall of somebody built up in pride. Today, as we go through 1 Samuel, be on the lookout for what causes people to rise and fall, what causes nations to rise and fall. And we start in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you, you're calling me, right? And Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I've spoken against his family. Eli was the high priest, and his sons were just wicked, abusing their positions there, and God was going to judge them. And so here we see the rise of Samuel is directly connected to him knowing God. Knowing God is crucial in this life. We need to know him and hear his voice if we are going to head in the right direction. Verse 7 says, at this time, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and that caused confusion. 
He kept on wondering, well, who's talking to me? What's going on here? Now, the Dean household can relate to this confusion because in, in our family of five, only the girls, only Shannon and Abigail sleep normally. They're the only normal ones in the house. I'm a sleepwalker, Gideon's a sleepwalker, and Titus is a sleep talker. And every night, it's, it's one of the three of us getting up and Shannon chasing us down and figuring out. And, and so, man, there's some funny stories about Gideon that I'll tell you. But if you want to hear about me, you're going to have to get to know Shannon because I'm not going to give up that kind of dirt too easily from the pulpit. But we, we understand this chaos. But it's so important for us to discern on how we know if it's the Lord's voice or not. All right, how do we know? Now, we're told and promised that we will have this ability as Christ followers. Jesus, speaking of himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, said this in verse 4, his sheep follow him because they know his voice and they will never follow a stranger. And so we're promised that we will learn the voice of God so we know, turn left, turn right, do this, don't, don't do that. It says we'll never follow a stranger, but to be honest, if we're really honest, we, we follow the wrong direction at times, don't we? Right, sometimes we think, I think this is a good idea. Is this, is this the Lord? We live in a world of content overload. So how do we hear the voice of God when everything else is screaming at us? Well, just from the passage we read, we learned three things about how God speaks to us. The first is that God speaks first and frequently. Right? God initiates the relationship with us because he is merciful. So if you hear the voice of God, if you feel the calling of God, if God is drawing you towards himself, rejoice in that he is so merciful to call us. But notice he, he speaks frequently. Samuel didn't get in trouble for missing the Lord's voice the first three times and only responding on the fourth time. Even when we mess up and we hear God's voice and and we think, that's not God, that's too hard, that's difficult, or we hear God's voice and we know it's him, but we still ignore it and try and head in the other direction, God's merciful. He will continue to speak to us and draw us towards himself because he loves us and desires to help us. So God speaks first and frequently, but God also speaks to those who listen, right? Samuel was instructed by Eli to respond back to God, speak for your servant is listening. That requires humility, right? It requires humility for us to say, Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, I'm waiting to listen to you. No matter what you say, I will hear your voice and I will follow you. It's setting God up as king and, and recognizing we must follow our king, being willing to listen. And third, God speaks hard truth. Hard truth. Samuel wasn't told the first conversation he ever had with God, I love you, you're such a good little boy, you know, your family's great. He was told about a prophecy about how the high priest and his family were going to be judged because of their sin. That's a lot to put on a, a kid's shoulder. I don't know if he's in middle school, high school at this time, it's some years later, and he has to express all this to the high priest, and, and to be honest, the high priest agrees with him. He says, the Lord is right in this judgment. God speaks hard truth to us. Just because we read the Bible or hear the word of God taught to us and it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's voice. God loves us so much to tell us the hard truth. It's not just trying to cause a problem. It's the hard truth which will lead to the most blessed life that we can have. And this is what it means to be in a relationship with God. This is what eternity is all about. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that we know him. Knowing God now is the start of eternity and it carries into the future generations and millions of years. 
but we know him now. The blessing is now and in the future. So how do we grow in knowing God? First and foremost, you have to read the Bible. You've got to pick up this book on your own and read it. We've got Bible reading plans on our website that you can do, but you need to put yourself here and say, Lord, I'm listening. Speak to me. Lord, talk to my heart. Show me what you want me to do. And don't be surprised of the amazing but sometimes difficult things the Lord will speak that are relevant to your situation. Read the scriptures. And so we see an example of Samuel's rise to leadership here in that he knows God. But we also see quite a fall, and it's with the people of God. It's with Israel. Chapter 4, verse 3, the Israelites had just lost a battle with the Philistines that they thought they should have won. The elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such great a shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines said, what's going on? What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. No, oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We are doomed. Like, this is the God that took down Egypt, and now he's coming against us. We're doomed. But something, something completely surprising happens. So then verse 10, the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. It seems like it's the opposite of what should happen. You bring God into the camp, and it seems like your army should be stronger, better. But the problem is, the Israelites were using God. They were using God for their own purposes instead of setting God up as king. They, they didn't want to worship God. They weren't worshiping God, but they still wanted access to his power in moments of crisis, now, that might actually sound familiar because this is the ebb and flow of life that we go through at times where we get distracted away from God. It's not, it's not often we say, no, I'm, I'm walking away from God, but we get distracted away from him. And then in a big crisis, we're like, Lord, help, Lord. And he wants us to go to him in those moments. And he's not sitting there saying, no, because you aren't worshiping, I'm not going to help you. No, he's a good God. He loves us even when we're, we're weak in that area, right? He wants to help us in crisis moments, but, but they're using him. So why didn't God allow this plan to work? Well, would you? <laughs> if you knew somebody was using you, would you just say, that's the best thing for me to give them what they want? In this moment, it was better for God to judge his own people than fight off the enemies of God. They were using him. And so it's not a sign of an authentic relationship to be used. None of us like that. No, no boyfriend or girlfriend likes to <clears throat> Sorry, I'm turning 13 today. No, boyfriend or girlfriend likes to think, oh, this person's only dating me to use me, or, or this, this person's only friends with me to get this from me. It happens a couple times every year, uh, recently, just in the past few months, where all of a sudden a random acquaintance starts acting like they really know me and really value me or are good friends with me. I'm like, why are they coming out of the woodwork? I barely know that person. What are they doing? They were like a parent of a youth group student that I, I used to have. And they're chit-chatting, and I'm like, this is weird. And, and the radar goes up, like, what do, they, what do they want? And if I wait long enough, even if I ignore it long enough, eventually they say, listen, I really like it if you could tell your church about this book that I wrote, or if you could sell your church this service that I provide. I'm like, there it is. 
They want to use me. There is no, I would rather they reach out and say, hey, I barely know you. This is a really good product. What do you think? But instead, they, they kind of manipulate acting like we're friends. And then no one likes being used. We hate being used. God's not going to be used. We want real love in our relationships, real authenticity, respect. And that's what God offers. God offers and proves that he loves us and he just wants us to respond with love back to him. Not perfection back to him. That's not gonna be possible, but real love back towards him. So we have to ask the question, is God your waiter? Is that how we think about him? That God's our waiter? Nobody goes to a restaurant. If you were to poll people at a restaurant saying, why are you here? No one's really gonna say, I'm here because of the wait staff. That's why I'm here. Now listen, if, you, if your kid works for the restaurant or someone you wanna marry works at the restaurant, you know, yeah, oh yeah, you really want fancy ramen noodles three times a week or are you trying to marry that person? I'm trying to marry him, yeah, thanks for... Listen, maybe, but nobody goes to a restaurant and says, oh, you can appreciate a good wait staff, but you go there for what the waiter can bring to you. You go there because of the food. That's what you're craving. That's what you want. And the, the waiter, waitress is just bringing that to you. God forbid we treat him like that, right? Where we're like, yeah, I need God because I need blessing. I need God because I need, listen, it's okay to know that God can help us and to seek him for his help, but you will never be satisfied with the blessing of God apart from a real relationship with God. It's just not true. It's just one of the lies in life. I understand the temptation, but it's just not true. And so rather than using God, and we would never call it that, but just looking at our lives and saying, am I really just using him in big moments instead of having a deep relationship with him? Rather than using God, use your gifts to serve God, right? Be a part of God's kingdom, right? Be a part of what he's doing. And just, just last week, I felt the need to, to call and thank one of the volunteers we have here at the church because I was just blown away at how they were serving Cornerstone so joyfully, so sacrificially. I was like, my goodness, I just want you to know we appreciate this. And, and, and they just find joy in serving the Lord like this. Right? To have our lives connected to a meaningful purpose is amazing, using our gifts for God and his kingdom. And so Israel here is, is on the decline in this moment. They are falling, but so are the Philistines. The Philistines are not getting off you know, scotch-free here in this moment. The Philistines have their own problems, and we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It says, after the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Dagon would be a, just a false idol that they were worshiping. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back up in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. I mean, this is God, this isn't God's people sneaking in and setting all this up to make God look good. God is just that powerful that when some, you know, foreign fake God is set up over him, he's like, yeah, that's not how it's going to work. Dagon's going to bow down before me without another Israelite even here to help me. And that's the best place that we could even find ourselves in is proactively bowing down before the Lord rather than him humbling us. But God is doing some humbling in this moment. They're setting themselves up to challenge God and he humbles them. But it's God's own people that do the same thing. See, the, the Philistines were being tormented by the ark of God. So finally they're like, get it out of here, send it back. And they put some golden offerings in a cart and sent the ark of God back towards Israel. Verse 13 says, the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. 
And they looked up and saw the ark, and they rejoiced at the sight. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of God. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? They're challenging him. Now, now we'll talk about that. It sounds, sounds rough that God would do that. But first, the, the Philistines here. Right, they're being humbled because they're putting their idol, their God, above the real God. And so God brought them low. So God forbid we would act like the Philistines in challenging God by saying, these things in my life are more important than you, God. I put you below them. No, that's just not gonna work. God's gotta be number one. He's gotta be number everything for this life to work. And then we will be so blessed and satisfied in that kind of a relationship with God. But then God's own people here, they're, they're excited. The ark is coming back. It's no longer captured. But the ark was holy. Only the high priest in the tabernacle was allowed to be near the ark. When it was carried, a Levite had to carry it with something wrapped over it. And they decide, well, let's ignore God's Old Testament commands to not touch the ark, to not look at the ark. And let's just take a peek. And it's like Indiana Jones all over the place. It's bad, right? I mean, you're like, oh, man, what is going on? And you think, but, but isn't that a little harsh, Lord? Well, this was a season in Israel's existence where they needed to learn some tough lessons about the holiness of God, about how God is real and he is deserving of our respect and our lives are better if we respect him. It comes across as difficult, but it's God's mercy to teach us important lessons like this. So how do we go from challenging God with our pride of thinking that we know best, we know what we're gonna do next, to being changed by God? I can't do that by myself, and I've tried. And I know you've tried too, where you're like, well, there's a sin in my life, it's causing destruction, it's breaking relationships, I will simply stop sinning. <laughs> I will try harder to stop sin. And then you're like, well, wait a second, I'm trying harder, I'm trying harder, I'm weeping over this sin, and I, I'm not getting any victory. It's because God has called us to bear one another's burdens. God has called us to humility, which means transparency and being vulnerable and sharing and confessing our sins one to another. We have to grow with each other, and we believe that at Cornerstone, that growth happens with each other. Growth happens with others in the room. And so, I mean, during, during this service, there's a group of people upstairs that are growing together in our Explore the Bible class, and every week they're studying the Bible deeper, and they go to the 9 a.m. or 1140 service to come to, to worship the Lord. There are people here in this room, we know many of you are in life groups or year-long committed discipleship groups because we've tried it our way and we know we need some help. And help comes from God, but God uses other people in our lives as well. So go from challenging God to be being changed by him with other people. Now, finally, we see the ascent again, the rise of the nation of Israel. It doesn't come with their strength. It doesn't come because they've saved up enough horses and chariots. It comes with humility. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. It says, all the people of Israel turn back to the Lord, so Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of your foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And they did. They took time to be serious about their relationship with God. The pain of doing life apart from God finally was too much. And they hit rock bottom and they're like, okay, we give up. We will follow only God instead of believing in all these lies instead. They were finally serious about this. Look at the language that's being used. All your hearts, 
Rid yourselves of foreign gods. Commit yourselves to the Lord. Serve him only. They're ready to obey God. Obeying God, it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it, it, the phrase obeying God, you make it feel, ah, oh, it feels like I'm gonna, it's gonna be a killjoy to obey God. I gotta get my fun in first and then I'll obey God with the rest of my life. But that's a lie. It's, it's deceitful to think that way, right? To obey God is to finally walk in truth and, and joy. And the scriptures are honest with us that we know that, that obeying God can be difficult, but God can show us the why about all of his commands and all of a sudden it makes sense why sin is bad and why walking in his way is the right way. First John chapter five, verse three says, in fact, this is the love of God that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not even burdensome to us. We can get to a point where we rejoice over the commands in the Bible, the commands of Jesus. Are they, are they limiting? Yeah, they limit us from more death and destruction. They limit us from hurting other people, right? They, they limit us from a lot of that. What are we missing out on? A lot of pain, right? To walk with the Lord, to, to be a part of his kingdom, to finally have purpose, to know that life isn't about what we want, our comfort and convenience, but instead to be a part of his kingdom, to reach the lost, to build up the church, it just brings joy. We've got to come to a point where we believe the Lord in this. Now, what happens when you finally make decisions like that? You've experienced this, I'm sure, where you say, no, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do things his way. Does that mean it's smooth sailing after that? Not at all. We have an enemy of our soul that doesn't want us to return to God. And so did the Israelites. We, we see it in 1 Samuel 7, 7. It says, when the Philistines heard that the Israelites assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. So the Israelites said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. On that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines, threw them into such a panic that they were routed before all the Israelites. And so they set up a monument and calling it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. The Lord is, is going to be there for us when the enemy tries to make us slide back into our old ways, right? As we make those decisions to follow the Lord and, and people and the enemy is against us, God's going to give us strength. He's not going to let us just be defeated in these moments. He's going to be, to be there to help us. And so we see a miraculous help in this moment, right? Where they're, they're freaking out. They came to worship God. They didn't have their swords and stuff with them. And so all they could do is they're like, we're vulnerable. Samuel, you gotta help us. You, you seem like you're in a right relationship with God. We're like 15 minutes into a right relationship with God. You, you walk with him. Cry out to the Lord for us. And so he does and God, knowing that the hearts of Israel were finally repentant, God just does a miracle. There's so much thunder going on that the Philistines are confused and, and just start fighting each other in the confusion. Then the Israelites come down and, and finish the battle. God does it himself. He can get the ark back from the Philistines to his own territory. He can fight the enemy by himself, but he wants to partner with us so that we can have lives of fulfillment and joy. And a life of, of blessing like this, it's, it's more satisfying than a life of selfishness. Look at how this all ends in verse 13. The Philistines were subdued. They stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's, life, uh, Samuel's 
Salmon's lifetime. Salmon's lifetime ends in my stomach. But Samuel's lifetime, throughout his lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hand of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. We've talked a lot about our commitment to God. This passage shows us God's commitment to us. It's wrong to seek God for his blessing alone, but as we seek God for the right reasons, we will be blessed by God. It's just how things are going to end. We see three blessings here for the people of God. The first is they have victory over sin. And we see this uh, typologically, it says in verse 13, the Philistines were subdued. The Philistines stopped invading the people of Israel. This, this plague, this nagging enemy that always came in to ruin things, when God saw a repentant heart from Israel, the enemy was pushed aside and unable to attack anymore. And we experience this spiritually. There are times where we, we have a, a sin in our lives that it just, it just has us in bondage. Right? It's got a hold of us, and we, we can't seem to stop it. We keep going back to it. Do not lose hope. God can free you from that sin. There is freedom in Christ, and he will give that to you. We also see a blessing that broken relationships can be restored. It says the towns that were captured by the Philistines were restored to Israel. So some of these neighboring communities that were Israelite communities were now captive and in slavery to the Philistines, and, and they were able to fight and restore those broken communities, those relationships. And God can do that. I, I know that the distance between us and other people, whether caused by us or caused by them, the broken relationships that we desperately want healed, it feels impossible that those could ever be changed. But God is alive God is working, and God loves restoration, and so we don't give up, we pray. And finally, we see Israel even became a blessing to other people. It says in verse 14 that Israel delivered the neighboring territories, and then they had peace with the Amorites. These aren't territories that used to be Israel's land. These are territories outside of Israel's land. Israel's now being a blessing to the Amorites by kicking out the Philistines. This is crazy because the Amorites are also enemies of God, but now God uses the Israelites when they're right with him to push back the Philistines to a point now where there's peace with Israel's other enemies. God blesses his enemies. It's why he blesses us. And God uses us to be a blessing to other people. A life lived in accordance to God's mission to see the lost and not be angry at them because they're sinning, but to have our heart break for them and weep for them and to say, Lord, use me to reach them. That life is satisfying, right? To bless other people. There was a guy last year on the Mexico missions trip that came to the first missions trip, built a house for this single lady who was leaving an abusive relationship and she had her kids. And he was so thrilled with being used by God, he went back on the second Mexico missions trip to build another house for someone else because there's joy in helping the hurting. We read over a passage in chapter six I wanna close with where the Israelites rightly said this, who can stand in the presence of this holy God? Right, touching the ark leads to devastation. Who can do it? In their best thinking, Samuel could intercede for them. But now on this side of history, what do we know? The only reason why we can stand in the presence of God isn't because we start behaving better. <laughs> the only reason 
is because Jesus was perfectly righteous and died on the cross for our sins, giving us his righteousness, and so we can go boldly to the throne of grace. When we pray, we don't have to feel guilty, like in the middle of this prayer, God's gonna interrupt me and judge me because of my sin. We go boldly before the throne of grace because of Jesus. He stands in the presence of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father on our behalf for us to help us. So Jesus didn't come to to die on the cross for our sins, to only be called upon in a moment of crisis. He came to be with us step by step to radically transform us. The goal is not church attendance. The goal is radical transformation. And so that's not going to happen just on a Sunday morning. And so at Cornerstone, we have a discipleship pathway where we think through and pray through, how can we best help people be transformed? And this is our discipleship pathway. Know God, grow with others, use your gifts, and help the hurting. And while I wrap things up and pray, if you could just take out your phone and text the word next to that phone number that's on the screen that we're always mentioning, it doesn't commit you to anything. It's just an exploration that you do. It doesn't commit you to anything, but if you text the word next to that number, it'll it'll give you our discipleship pathway. But then when you respond for which one of these areas you'd like to grow further in, It'll tell you the most time-sensitive, urgent, relevant ways that you can know God or help the hurting. There's opportunities to help our community and the nations just in the next two months. Using our gifts, there's opportunities to help kids go to camp. There's, There's so many things. It'll show you how to connect and grow here at Cornerstone. So you just text the word next, and you see, and you get to choose your next step. As long as you're connecting in these areas throughout the year, you'll, you will experience growth here at the church. And, and Father, we, we want to be transformed. We don't just want to attend. We want to be changed. We don't like the worst parts of us. We hate them the most, even though other people hate those parts of us. We want to be radically changed, and we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need other people's help. But there's hope because you promise us that help. And so help us to set you up as king and for us to follow so that you can radically transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me as we leave. We have a a prayer team that's available up front that would love to pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you here next week at Cornerstone.